Luke 5, 33-39. Jesus questioned about fasting. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, no new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Thank you, Marcy. I'm sure um, many of us will have had that experience when we are reading something or listening to something or singing a song or saying a piece of liturgy perhaps or you know it doesn't have to be religious or anything that we've engaged with watched seen read heard hundreds of times over the years and then all of a sudden something new feels like it hits us afresh yeah have you had that um it's it's like something it's kind of a it's the light bulb moment isn't it or and it's caused i think probably by something that's changed in us over the years. Maybe it's something that's happened to us, something we've experienced, something that we've seen on the news, whatever it is, there are those moments when, when our understanding of something that we thought we knew really well is enhanced. It's not ruined, but it's actually enhanced. It's, it's deepened. Um, I, I, I was thinking about this over the week, and I, I was reminded of how... Um, all those years ago at school, all those years ago at school, I, um, when I, I chose to do English literature at Varsity, and uh, my some of my teachers, not all of them, some of my teachers said, you won't even pass the Scottish equivalent of matric, let alone handle that at Varsity. So... <laughs> When I got my result for my degree in English literature, which wasn't genius level or anything, but I was pleased. Those birds are loud, aren't they? And when I got my result for my degree, which, which I was pleased with, I decided to go back to my school to say hello. <laughs> and I just, I didn't make an appointment, I just wandered in, wandered around the grounds. Hi, do you remember me? I thought you'd like to know how I got on with my English degree. Um, and part of that was me being... I'll be honest, a bit naughty. But also, it was part of me reclaiming my memory of the school, right? Because when I left, a lot of my memory of school was, you won't do this. And I was going back to reclaim it and say, ha, I did it. And, and that can be part of the, the kind of re-understanding of stuff, the renewing of our memory or our understanding of an experience or a thing we engage with, can't it? We, 
we go back and, and we reclaim it. We think of it in a different way. I also remember when I went back a couple of years ago to Edinburgh for my dad's funeral. And it was, I remember this really vividly. It was, I think, two days after the funeral had happened. And I was, I'd had lunch with a, a very old friend of mine and we'd went, been to see a movie and I was walking back to the place I was staying. And it suddenly, I suddenly realised that I didn't have any family left in Edinburgh. And this might be the last time I was in Edinburgh. I hoped it wasn't, but it, but it might be, because I didn't have family to go back to see. And as soon as you realise that, that completely changes your experience of a place that you know really well, because you suddenly, it's like everything becomes more alive and you start noticing things in new ways. So your, your memory is refreshed. It's renewed, it's more vibrant. You start taking note of things. I want us to sit with this idea of, of renewing our understanding of things this morning and over the next few weeks. Because we have collectively and individually been through, as Colleen was referring to earlier, a really difficult time. And we are still going through that, even though we're, we're down to level one at the moment. And we, as we did with the remembrance a couple of weeks ago, and, and in other ways, we continue to reflect on those difficult times and mark that and be, be truthful about that. But I also want us to sit with the idea of what is being renewed for us? What, as we kind of get used to gathering as St. Peter's again in this physical space, what is refreshed? What are we seeing in slightly different ways? What might be being reawakened? What might be new in what we thought we were very familiar with? Are you seeing what I'm getting at? To help us do that, um, we're going to look at a few of the parables in Luke's Gospel. And in saying that, I know that we've covered parables before in recent years. And if you've been part of any church or any length of time, you'll have looked at the parables before. Um, so I acknowledge that. But also that's kind of the point, because we are revisiting them and hoping that, that God will renew something in us in different areas of our understanding of our relationships with God and each other and uh, worship, discipleship, our, our mission. What is renewed as we look at those parables? And, and that first one that we're looking at is that one that Marcy read so beautifully from Luke chapter 5. If you've got one of these church Bibles, you can find it again on page uh, 1, 1 something, 1183. So just have it open in front of you. But th these probably won't by and large be um, the really heavy kind of expositional looking at a passage. It will more be kind of chewing on it, reflecting on it, asking a couple of questions about it. The context, which is always helpful to set for this uh, parable, is that Jesus has healed somebody. He's, and in doing so, he has declared that, that person's sins are forgiven. And that sets some people on edge, right? And... It was actually quite a destructive process, that healing in some respects, because if you were to cast your eyes back over the chapter, you'd see that it, that's the one where some friends of the, the guy who's ill carrying on his bed 
up the stairs, which would have been round the outside of the house in those days, onto the flat roof of the house, dug a hole in the roof, and then lowered him down to Jesus. So as well as being a renewing experience for this man, there was something destructive about it, certainly for the roof and the owner of the house, who I don't think gets lost in this story. What, what did he think? Anyway, that's one of the things that happened. And then Jesus says to Levi, one of the tax collectors who was there, come and follow me. Now remember, of course, the tax collectors were one of the lowest of the low, people who were assumed the worst of, assumed to be uh, charging too much tax and skimming some off the top for themselves, always assumed to be cheating. And Jesus said to him, you, come and follow me. And he said, yeah, I will. So that creates a bit of more scandal, sets a few more people on edge, because what are you doing having those people come and hang out with you? What are you doing inviting these people of whom were naturally suspicious I mean, this guy, if we were operating today, we'd have had this guy submit a, uh, what do you call it, a CV. And we thought, oh, tax collector, bad reputation. Can't have your soul in the church. Certainly not in a leadership position. But Jesus says, come, follow me. And then Jesus makes it worse by staying for supper and hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners. That's kind of Luke's catch-all phrase. And chatting with them. And that's when we arrive at this parable. Um, they say to him, kind of the people who are, who are set on edge by all these events, they say to him, your disciples, the people who are following you, should be fasting because that's what religious people do. That's what good followers of a rabbi like you, Jesus, that's what the good people do. They should be fasting and looking somber. Why aren't they? See, he says, there's this edge to it all. A bit of anger, a bit of, oh, he's not doing things right and he, his followers aren't doing things right, so we want to trap him. And Jesus says, well, they will fast, but not right now because their attention is turned to something else, to me. And then Jesus comes with this parable about renewing a wineskin. Now, a parable. Why does Jesus talk in parables? Well, well, partly because we remember stories, right? That's how human beings work. I, I can't remember exactly what the figure is, but it's something like two-thirds of the whole Bible is in, is in some type of story. And stories just stick with us better than, you know, this thus says the Lord. Point one, point two, point three. We remember stories. But also parables are, are told by Jesus to get us to lean in a bit, if you know what I mean by that, to kind of, what? What did you say? Just run that past me again. Let me think on that. Because we remember the parable. Remember, of course, they're not long stories. This isn't Lord of the Rings, right? You know, it's just a, f- a few lines in our text. We can, people would have memorized it very quickly back in the day. We can read it and reread it and chew on it. And, and that's what it's for. It's to get us to kind of like the way a cow keeps chewing on grass. I'm not saying any of you are cows. It's just an image, right? <laughs> to get us to chew, reflect, meditate on, 
think over and over and over again. And maybe we've heard this parable many times before. Maybe we think we understand it. But maybe as we reflect on it in the context of everything we have experienced and are experiencing, maybe something fresh is renewed for us about it. In all of this, there is, seems to be a bit of a, a pattern of, as well as renewing, before the renewing, there's a bit of destruction, like with the roof. Like with the wineskin. Before the new wineskin comes, there's a bit of destruction of the old wineskin. And that, of course, is not a new, uh, an unusual idea for Jesus. Most famously, perhaps, there's that occasion when he refers to a temple being knocked down in three days and then rebuilt. Now, I can't build a temple in a hundred years. I can't build a temple at all. Graham might be able to, because he's good at that sort of thing. But three days? No. No, not for a building like that. And of course, we know now that Jesus is talking about himself. But you see that pattern, destroy, disrupt, dismantle, rebuild, renew. And that's what happens with Jesus, destroy, killed, died, renew, resurrection. And we know that for those who follow Jesus, the physical building of the temple is no longer the point. What is the temple? Let's remind ourselves. I mean, you, you'll know this. This isn't new news to a lot of us. But let me refresh you, your memory. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That's you. The people who hear God's word. The people who worship God. The people who follow Jesus. You are the temple of God. It's not the building anymore. The temple was always thought of as the place where God's spirit dwelt, where you could find God, encounter God. That's no longer limited to a building. It's where you are. Or again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. We are the temple of the living God. God is found where his people gather, where his people are. He's not limited to a building. He's where we, the followers of Jesus, are. Or take our friend Peter, after whom our church is named. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, to God, the living stone, rejected by humans, but rejected by humans, note the destruction, rejection, disruption thing but chosen by God and precious to him. You also are like living stones are being built into a spiritual house in this translation, also translated as temple. The temple is no longer a physical thing. It's where God's spirit dwells and God's spirit dwells in you, in me, in us, in the followers of Jesus. Christianity is actually founded on this adaptiveness it's a, it's a religion, it's a faith of refreshment, of renewal. 
of re-seeing old things. This doesn't mean that tradition, old things are worthless. We still listen to God speak through the Old Testament as well as the New. We don't dismiss it, but we understand it in a new way, in a, in a fresh way. The old wineskin isn't completely done away with, but it is reinvigorated, it is refreshed. There is something new about it for the new wine that is available. God, by his spirit, renews religion. He's always doing that. That may involve some disruption or destruction first, but it's, it's never mindless. It's never pointless. It's never allowed to be just destruction, disruption for its own sake. It's in order to enable something new to grow. What does that mean for us as St. Peter's? What does it mean for you as an individual? What is disrupted, dismantled? What is renewed and rebuilt? You know this, actually, and it may feel uncomfortable sometimes instinctively because it it speaks of change, perhaps, and most of us, all of us, are nervous of change to a greater or lesser extent. And I, let me be clear, I'm not saying this with an agenda about a particular change. <laughs> I'm trying to get to a principle of our life with God. But think of Isaiah 43. God say, you're in the wilderness, but see, I'm doing a new thing, right? You're in the wilderness, yes, but look for the new thing in the wilderness. Even in the wilderness, there's something new for you. Or think of Isaiah 58, where God says to the prophet that if you live a life of integrity that is in line with what your worship says about you, then you will be rebuilding on ancient foundations. You will be restoring. You'll be known as one who restores and repairs that which is broken. This rhythm of Disruption and destruction and renewal is right at the heart of our life with God. Because the new wineskin needs to be ready and right for the new wine. So what's the wine that is new? I don't know. What does the new wineskin look like? I don't know, we are, we'll be rebuilding on what was already there. But what is new? What is being refreshed? What is being reawakened? What is fresh about this? That's what I want us to chew on, meditate on, ask ourselves as individual followers of Jesus and as St. Peter's. What in our understanding of our religion is being refreshed, renewed? That is, and that will be good. There will be some pain involved because there has been pain over the last 18 months or so. And a lot of that pain continues. So that, that's just the way life is. That's true. That's just us being honest by acknowledging that.
But alongside that, there's a refreshment and a renewal. What is that? What can you see in this wilderness that is new? I think I've said once before, once or twice before, that when Moses was in the wilderness for all those years before he went to Egypt to, to, rest, to lead, the, lead the people out of Egypt, he was wandering the desert and you know, bushfires are quite common in the wilderness, we know that. Fires happen in the sun. So he would have to have been paying attention, looking for a, some, at least at some subconscious level, being ready for a fire, an experience that was slightly different in the wilderness, even if he didn't realise he was doing it. And the fruit of that was God speaking to him out of a bush that burned that, that did not burn up. He would have to have been paying attention to notice that. Be a bit like Moses. Let's try and do that. Let's pay attention. Let's allow ourselves to be renewed and refreshed in our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our view of our religion, of our church, of our faith. Because we are living stones being built into a spiritual dwelling place for God. Let's take a time of quiet to continue reflecting.